you need to figure out what is it that I want to communicate. Just by being on social media is not the answer. The real answer stems from figuring out what is it that my audience needs? What is their pain point that they have? And can I build some trust with them? Can I convince them that I empathize with you? I understand your pain point and I might have a solution for you. So that messaging has to be incorporated in either social media or traditional, depending on what channel you are using. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our leadership, develop our teams and scale our business in a way that allows us to get our products and services out to the world yet still remain profitable? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hamner, your host. On today's episode, we have Atul Manocha. Atul is a partner at Chief Outsiders. They're a marketing, national marketing consulting firm that helps CEOs accelerate growth. They have got a ton of experience in startups and even Fortune 500 companies like Honeywell, Kodak, and Toyota, and they worked in a wide range of industries. He's also been teaching marketing courses at a graduate level for 13 years, and he most recently published a marketing guide for CEOs titled Lies, Damned Lies, and Marketing. It's R rating an Amazon bestseller in multiple categories. And it's been named by Forbes as the number one book to read for entrepreneurial success. I think that's enough to say. This is a great podcast. If you want to learn and understand marketing, I think you'll love this episode. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Atul Manocha. Have you ever tried online marketing before and weren't sure if it was working? Maybe your rep talked about all the impressive features and stats and said things were going great, but you didn't know how all that tied into raw new policies written. Well, that's not the case with DirectClicks. DirectClicks is the premier Google ads and SEO option exclusively for State Farm agents. Why? They're 100% resource-oriented with an exclusivity guarantee. Every review call you have with your account manager focuses on what really matters to your business, and that's leads and call-ins received. Everything will get broken down to cost per lead received. By investing with direct clicks, you're going to free up time and energy to focus on what's most important in your agency and doing what it is you do best. This will be the best investment you make for your team by spending confidently and scaling your agency today with exclusive online marketing partner, DirectClicks. Visit us at directclicksinc.com. Ambition is the first step towards success. It's time to level up your agency. And Coach P Consulting will help you do just that by using the same strategies he used to sell over 700 life insurance policies in 2021 alone. Now, this is not your regular one and done type coaching. You'll get personalized coaching two days a week, every week of the month, and you'll get a live look behind the scenes of his team training and an office that's performing at the highest level. There's a reason Coach P Consulting is the fastest growing coaching company for insurance agency owners in the country. Coach P will train your team alongside his own and show you the exact steps they're taking to achieve Chairman Circle, Exotic Travel, and Multi-Line Presence Club and be one of the few agents to be selected to have a third office. So whether your goal is to be at the top of your local market or amongst the best in the country, this training will give you the strategies and the tactics to get there. 
For just $250 a month, you'll get high-level coaching each week from someone who is already getting it done at that level, and his strategies work, and it's time to put them to work for you. Sign up at coachpeakconsulting.com and get your first full month for free when you mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Atul, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Really glad to be here, Bradley. Thanks for inviting me. We're excited to have you. Obviously, I came across your name. I was sharing with you before we got started that you're speaking at a really popular conference, ironically, next week. And I saw you on there and uh, did a little research about you and loved the title of your book, Lies, Damned Lies and Marketing. And I said, I've got to get a tool on the podcast. And so for people that maybe are just hearing about you first, why don't you give them a little bit of background and origin story? Well, it's kind of an accidental story in more ways than one. I mean, I grew up loving science and engineering and physics and things like that and wanted to be a car engineer, car designer. And that's what I trained for. And that's where I thought I was headed when I was hired by Toyota out of my engineering school. The only twist that happened in this, in this story is that this was for Toyota's project in India. And I was the 19th employee to be hired. So Toyota was not operating in India at that time. They were planning to operate in India. And the CEO designate who hired me as the 19th employee, as a 21-year-old, said, well, welcome, and we're going to put you into marketing. And I him and hard and kind of protested that I didn't spend all this time learning engineering and all that to go into marketing. I mean, what is that? That's where people talk. There's nothing substantial there. It's all phony stuff. And please, please, please don't do that to me. And he said, well, reconsider this. But right now we need manpower in marketing. And that's how I got pushed into marketing. So I say that I was dragged into marketing as a career. The good news is, and I really mean it by emphasizing the word good, is that within first three months, first four months of being in marketing, doing marketing with Toyota's India project, I learned so many new things, including that marketing is a lot of fun. There's a lot of science and engineering in it. There's a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of gaps to be closed in marketing. So I actually chose to stay in marketing and use my engineering knowledge, use my sort of analytical skills to the advantage of the commercial world. So I've actually never worked as an engineer. All my 30 plus 35 years work experience has been in marketing. And I'm very proud and happy about it. So our experiences are a little bit different, but what you just mentioned there actually leads me into the very first question. So let me try to frame this because this is, I was thinking about this the other day. This recently came up. So my team and I were having this discussion. My experience after I graduated college from Auburn has been all in sales. My very first job was in sales. I was handed the current accounts and I was handed even a lead list. My second job was in sales and it was a lead list. And so the reason I tell you all that is that I had a lot of sales training. I don't know if it worked, but I did have some development and training. But I never was actually trained and developed on marketing. And just epiphany just in the last three months was, man, if I could go back, somebody asked me, if you could go back and you were in your mid-20s, what would you do? I would study and understand marketing, right? Not just sales. I mean, sales is valuable, but all things, in my opinion, seem to flow downward from marketing and sales. Everything starts from that. And so I 
have become much more interested and have began to study around marketing and in a lot of cases, digital marketing specifically, because I realized I just had so far to go. You can have the best products, you can have the best programs out there, but if you can't master capturing people's attention and keeping it, it doesn't matter how good your product is. Your thoughts? Yeah, first of all, I compliment you for making a distinction, just by the way you phrased the question that even though it's very common for people to use sales and marketing sort of next to each other in, mm-hmm. in any sentence, clearly, but the way you phrase the question, you know the difference between sales and marketing. And you at least understand that there is a difference. You know, you may not be able to articulate it, but you know that the two are not uh, synonymous. Mm-hmm. So that is a huge step forward. Huge. I mean, literally, if on a scale of one to 100, you are already past the 50 points mark by just recognizing that the two are different. Well, I got a D, um, so that's good. I got an F. So no, that, no, 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 but, <laughs> but the exam is not over yet. The exam is not over yet. The grades are not out. We are through this. We're going to go through this. So. so that's sort of my first comment and observation to you. The second thing I would say is trying to sort of get you past the D point is that you're exactly right that you do have to hold the interest of your audience. But in some ways, if we are to sort of, and I'm making a finer point here, I mean, you're talking about sales and marketing, but that's where it sort of rolls down from. But if I were to sort of look at sales and marketing now, I would argue that it actually starts from marketing. And mm-hmm. again, the idea is not to put one above the other or importance or this thing, but I'm, I'm just sort of being very analytical about it, that it really starts from marketing only because it's marketing's job or it should be marketing's job to first determine what does the market need? What is the market sort of experiencing as a pain? Where are the gaps? What's the market clamoring for? What are they missing? And then identify that need and then figure out what will satisfy that need in the best possible way. So it's all, this is well before anything is made, well before a product is made, well before a service is defined, but using your customers to determine what is the pain point that they are experiencing. Once that is determined, once that leads you to create whatever that answer is, that's when you turn it over to sales and sort of say, okay, I've got so many products sitting in my warehouse, or I've got so many offerings sitting on my SaaS platform, go out and find the right customers. And by the way, the right customers have also been identified, at least in terms of segmentation, in terms of what an ideal customer profile is. So you're not sort of going on a wild goose chase, you kind of know what does an ideal customer look like? Where will I find them? How will I know that they are my more likely client? That's how it really begins. And that's how it really should begin. No, that makes total sense. So I want to ask you around, tell me if you agree. I'm actually curious if you agree with this, is that the right thing for one company may not be the right thing for another. So if you're doing a million dollars in revenue and you're wanting to grow to 2 million, right? Double the size of the company. If you go and speak to somebody that's doing $10 million, well, maybe the marketing prowess that they have and the strategies and the tactics that they're employing may be right for them because they're at $10 million, but it may not necessarily be right for you. Number one, do you agree with that? And number two, how do we go through from a principal perspective and look at marketing from a high level principal level first, regardless of the company size? So absolutely. Every company has a unique problem that needs to be solved with a unique solution. So a solution that I might have for helping a company grow from 10 million to 15 million is 
unlikely to work for another company who is also trying to do the same thing, even if it's in the same industry. Because everybody has a unique set of issues, unique set of challenges, unique set of strengths. And as is well known, the people ought to play to their strengths. So company A may have a certain strength, which if I was advising them, I would try to leverage that strength. And company B may have a different strength, and I might use that strength for that company to leverage their success. So that's clearly the case. And the solution has to be very, very topical and timely. So again, one of the things that, you know, I'm a partner in a, in a marketing consulting firm. So it's very common for us to go in there when we are still talking to a client or a potential client and make two specific points. And they're kind of obvious, but sometimes they're not treated as obvious. In other words, it does open up an aha moment. Number one, even though we are known as a marketing firm, at the very outset, we tell our potential clients that we are not here to solve your marketing problem. They usually sort of are a bit surprised that why are you here? Well, our answer to that is that we are here to solve a business problem. So we use marketing as a tool to solve business challenges. And businesses' challenges could be, you know, growing as fast or we got a new competitor or we need to grow in a certain area that's new for us or, um, or whatever it could be, you know. So we always try to address a business challenge using marketing as a primary set of tools. The second thing that we tell them is that I don't have an answer for you right now. But wait a minute, you have been doing marketing for 35 years and you've worked with this industry for so long. How come you don't know? Well, no, I know a lot, but that doesn't mean that I don't need to understand your specific issues, your specific challenges. It's like almost like going to a surgeon and sort of saying, I do this surgery 10 times a week. But to get your bone fixed, I still have to get you on the operating table and still have to go through the same steps that I go through 10 times a week. Just because I do it 10 times a week, I cannot, I don't have a magic wand by which I can do it. And oh, by the way, when I open you up, chances are, as often happens, chances are that I'm going to find things which are a little different from the other nine that I operated upon earlier this week. So that's sort of how we approach marketing with our clients. I want to have this conversation really around social media, but also traditional marketing. So you probably will end up answering this a couple of different ways. I mean, goodness, if you're a business owner, a small, medium-sized business, and you realize that you need to have a presence on social media and you think, okay, social media has got these people and they're able to use their data to better target my ideal clients. Well, that's true, but my goodness, where do you go? There's Facebook, Instagram, I'm just writing a few now on Twitter, TikTok, now YouTube Shorts, YouTube, Pinterest, LinkedIn. I like, I'm probably missing out half a dozen more. And it can be overwhelming. It can be overwhelming. And so the question is, is like, how do you reconcile number one, social media for marketing purposes specifically? And then number two, where does traditional marketing, where does it have its place today? So I'd be curious your thoughts on those two things. So let me take it back with traditional and digital. So there was a time, you know, 15, 20 years ago when digital was sort of just getting started, so to speak. And at that time, it was mostly free. And at that time, it was mostly noise free. You know, there was very few people were on Twitter. Very few people were on whatever channel you were looking at. Yeah. So if you jumped in there, you were able to sort of rule that particular social media for your particular segment. That is certainly no longer the case. It's no longer cheap. It's no longer free. and it's very, very noisy today. That doesn't mean that you should not use social media. But what you should do is not ignore traditional media, because in some ways, traditional media 
has been ignored by the so-called new digitirates who are now focused on the digital side of things and the analog world is open and therefore you have a better chance of catching attention in the analog world now it's not a versus b it's a and b and if you are a company you what you need to figure out is what is the right blend between the digital and the traditional so you cannot sort of start with an assumption that i'm going to go all digital or i'm going to go all traditional you should arrive at that answer and most likely it will be not be 100 0 kind of a thing it will be some blend between the two look at a company like apple as technologically advanced as there is as big as there is and they still spend millions of dollars on billboards why not because they don't believe in digital but because they believe that traditional billboards are also effective so keep that in mind now let's focus on the digital part the first question that you asked so you're exactly right i mean the social media is sort of a big tent umbrella where there are at least 10 maybe 20 big platforms out there and then if you think of all the platforms that are out there there are probably more than 20 so what you need to figure out there actually there are two things your question was which one to choose in some ways that's the easier answer or easier question to answer which one to choose the best way to answer that is figure out where your target audience hangs out and for your intent so for instance when i talk to b2b customers i tell them that b2b customers are probably on linkedin and they are also using facebook and instagram and all that but with very few exceptions when the same person is using linkedin facebook and instagram as an example they are in the business mindset when they are on linkedin and they are in fun and family and personal mindset when they are on instagram and facebook so do not sort of cross that over so just because they are on facebook doesn't mean that you start advertising your very serious business products in microscopes or industrial analyzers on facebook just because you believe that they are also on facebook because they are not in that frame of mind when they are on facebook so you're not going to catch them at the right spot so to speak so choosing the platform is relatively easy by answering the question where do my potential clients or my target audience hangs up but in my experience the bigger mistake that's made is in determining what should be communicated through that social media channel so in other words i'm taking it at a fundamental level so it's this answer applies to both social media and traditional marketing or traditional channels that you need to figure out what is it that i want to communicate just by being on social media is not the answer the real answer stems from figuring out what is it that my audience need what is their pain point that they have and can i build some trust with them can i convince them that i empathize with you i understand your pain point and i might have a solution for you so that messaging has to be incorporated in either social media or traditional depending on what channel you are using i think what stands out to me there is almost like this analogy of fishing so if you are a fisherman we have a really great lake here that's like Gunnersville it's known for bass fishing it has some of the bass fishing around the country i'm not really a bass fisherman myself but people travel literally around the country and around the world to be able to come here and i was just thinking about so if you could actually be in the right place and so youtube linkedin instagram depending on what company you could be in the right place but if you're not actually presenting the right bait right they're not going to necessarily connect and in the marketing world 
that's the message that's got to be communicated. So you could actually be fishing in the right place, checking all the right boxes, but the message is actually not going to connect with people, right? Absolutely. In fact, I'm going to steal this analogy because this is spot on. That's precisely my point. It's important to be the right lake, but equally important if you want to bring home some fish is to know what bait to use and what technique to use. So absolutely. I was in San Francisco a couple of times and Apple has billboards all over San Francisco. And my goodness gracious, they're in Palo Alto and Cupertino and everywhere around there. You would think of all the places that they don't need to be having ads, billboards specifically, it would be in San Francisco. Everybody has it. But man, there was hundreds, you know, maybe even thousands of billboards. And every couple of miles, it was a picture of a that was taken on the, on the new iPhones. Yeah. Let me give you my perspective on that, because I've heard this before, too, that are they sort of just sort of feeding to the home crowd or what's going on? Or is it real marketing? And I would argue that it's real marketing. So they can advertise anything. They can advertise MacBooks. They can advertise iMacs. They can advertise whatever. Why are they, for the most part, choosing to advertise shot on iPhone? So if you think about it, shot on iPhone appeals to both current iPhone users because it makes me sort of say, oh, man, I didn't know I can take a picture like that with my phone. Boy, I'm going to try that. So it builds my own sort of stickiness with the product that I already own. And if you build stickiness with your product, that's great, right? So Apple is benefiting by appealing to me as an iPhone user. So it's the ad is not wasted on me just because I'm already an iPhone user. Somebody who's not using an iPhone, it's obviously appealing to them. Why? Because now you're challenging that, hey, compared to my Android, I don't think I ever got a picture that good with my Android. Maybe I should consider an iPhone. So from my perspective, Apple is being extremely smart. So they're not just appealing with their ads to non-users of iPhone and trying to convert them. They're actually appealing both sides. And that's like doubling their ROI on that billboard. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue, increase your bottom line, and better manage your taxes? Club Capital is here to help. Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agents in the country, providing monthly accounting, tax strategy, and CFO services. Way more than bookkeeping and your everyday run-of-the-mill tax prep, Club Capital is focused on providing financial and tax advisory services that help you plan and forecast your agency's performance. Their financial dashboards and agency forecasting tools help you better understand your agency's historical performance, create and measure future targets, and see how your agency compares to your peers around the country. Imagine what it would be like to understand the impact to your bottom line when deciding to hire a new employee or forecast the impact rate changes or commission rates will have on your business. With over $200 million in tracked annual revenue and $140 million in tracked annual expenses, Club Capital has the data and the team to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. They will help you turn that back office stress into the backbone of your agency's success by giving you the tools to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book a solution overview with one of our business consultants. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. Talk about the concept of big M, little M in your book. Can you just talk about what that is and how that relates for us and what we can really take away from that concept? So one of the things I've discovered and working with the CEOs over the last 30 years is that most of them have an incorrect or an incomplete view of marketing. So then I try to sort of parse it into why and explain why that is and how I might solve that. So one of the simpler ways I came across was by viewing marketing in big M and small M. So at the outset of what I'll tell you is that marketing, that's the visible part of marketing that all of us as consumers get to see. 
is what's known as a small M marketing, whether it's promotions, advertising, social media, websites, trade events, logos, packaging, all of that is what gets into the small M category. So that's sort of the small M stuff that we all as consumers will view as, hey, marketing is happening. But what I discovered is, and what I know from experience, is that when people spend money on marketing, when companies spend money on marketing, there's a famous saying from almost 100 years ago that I know that half of my marketing dollars are wasted. The only problem is I don't know which half is wasted. So I continue to overspend on marketing. The reason that happens, the reason why there's leakage in your marketing spend is because people dive straight into small M marketing. What they ought to do is take the time and a little bit of money and invest in big M marketing. Big M marketing is what? Big M marketing is about gaining insights from your marketplace, about your competition, about your customers. Big M marketing is about developing your strategy. Big M marketing is about figuring out what customers to go after and what customers to not go after. I mean, that's equally important. And then once you've chosen your target audience, what should be your positioning? How you should appeal to them? That'll make it such an obvious choice for your potential customer. All of that has to be figured out in advance of spending money in small M marketing. So when companies do it right, what they'll find is that more than 80%, maybe even 90% of their marketing dollars are spent on small M marketing, as it should be. But it's that extra 10%, 15% that I ask people to spend in advance of the small M spend, which will actually increase the ROI on the small M marketing spend. So it's almost like you can cook with meat and potatoes, but to really make it tasty, you have to add a little bit of spice. So think of the mm. big M as the spice that will add the flavor to the meat and potatoes of small M marketing. Yeah, to me, what stands out there is you've got to do it in advance. So if somebody yeah. said, you know what, we're in the same industry, this is really working for us. Google pay-per-click as an example, just make that up or YouTube ads. And somebody says, okay, great. Let's put somebody on YouTube ads and let's go stand up some YouTube ads. Well, maybe that may work. It may be for your right target audience, presuming that you've actually identified who your target audience is and what their desires are and what are the pain points that you're trying to solve in the marketplace, as opposed to, because you could technically be able to run really great YouTube ads, but if your messaging doesn't land with your target audience, it's not going to matter. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I could not ask this question. What are some of the other biggest myths, lies that you see in working with businesses around marketing? So I have a short list because the list, my book would have been longer than it is. I have a short list in my book. So I would encourage your audience to get a copy and browse it. But some of the big ones are that unless there is an ROI, you should not spend any money on marketing. In other words, insist on getting well-documented ROI number before you approve any marketing program. Okay, I train as an engineer. I love numbers. I love ROI. But I also know from experience that not everything can be converted into a simplified ROI. I previously mentioned the example of billboards in San Francisco Bay Area, right? So do you think Apple can identify how many more iPhones have been sold with any of the specific billboards? Never. Absolutely not. So there is no ROI metric. But why are they choosing to spend money? Because they realize that the traffic is getting worse and worse. Congestion is higher and higher. And they do believe that reinforcing the message of what can be done on their iPhone is a positive thing. 
So even if I'll never know how many more iPhones get sold as a result of the billboard, but I do know that it's going to have a positive impact. Mm -hmm. And that alone is good enough for me. Mm -hmm. So insist on figuring out the logic more than the ROI. Often you will get an ROI, in which case it's great. But just because you don't have an ROI, don't throw out a good idea just because it didn't come attached with a reasonable ROI. So that's sort of one lie. The second lie, in fact, I was just in a conversation literally an hour before this recording was about SEO. And a lot of money these days is spent on search engine optimization and how companies are trying to rank themselves high and trying to sort of get smarter than Google or to win points with Google and Bing and the other search engines. The most interesting part about this is that Google on its own website for web developers it lays out four simple points, four simple recommendations. I don't have it in front of me, so I'm going to paraphrase and summarize this for you. But basically, Google is telling people that do not try to serve us or any other search engine. If you as a company make your website your customer friendly and serve their needs, we as Google or we as search engines will recognize that. We are smart enough to recognize that and we'll reward you for it. So in other words, if you are a company don't try to serve the interests of Google. You focus on your customers and let us do our job. When I work with my clients, I tell them, you know, in some ways, Google has made it easier for you because they're saying, don't worry about us. We'll worry about you. You worry about your customers. If you're able to serve their needs, we'll recognize you and we'll reward you. I have to say, I have to in. it's like, uh, sorry to interrupt. It's almost like somebody trying too hard, right? They're trying to get exactly. a guy or a girl and you just like, you're trying too hard. Don't try so hard, right? Be yourself. Yeah, you exist in this world not to serve Google. You exist in this world, apparently, because you identified a need and you apparently have a product or a service that will solve that need. So focus on that, deliver to that, you'll get rewarded. So that's sort of another lie. The third point I want to make, I mean, like I said, my book probably has over two dozen similar instances. The third one is about pricing. So when I studied marketing, and I think it's still taught you know, things have changed dramatically over the last 30 years. But this part hasn't changed. I mean, there used to be a notion of four Ps of marketing, product, place, promotion, and pricing. And even though people understand pricing is part of the four Ps, but in my experience, especially in the small to medium-sized businesses, when you ask a CEO as to who does pricing for you, very rarely will the person answer marketing. It'll either be my sales VP does it or more often, it's my CFO who's taken the pricing function as part of his or her responsibility. And I feel that's a mistake. And the reason it's a mistake is that, and again, Bradley, no offense to you in your sales training, but if a salesperson takes uh, charge of pricing, it usually moves in one direction because lower the price, better the chance of meeting or exceeding my quota. If you put CFO in charge of your pricing, CFO has a very good understanding of costs and margins. So that part is very good, but CFO has, generally speaking, very poor knowledge or poor feel for what pricing change does to market response. If I change my price up or down, how will the market respond to that? CFO is not doesn't have any good pulse on that particular question. So given all this, marketing ends up being the right function to take care of it because marketing usually does not have a comp plan that's driven so aggressively based on sort of quarterly sales, so to speak. And a good marketer should have a good finger on the pulse of 
how the market will respond to a pricing change. And good marketeer should also have access to enough information from the finance department to know how the cost structure is and how margins operate as they change volume. So marketing should be in charge of pricing. And I find that that's usually not the case in small to medium-sized companies. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. I loved your book. Obviously, people find it on Amazon. But before we get into E9 Rapid Fire Questions, the tool, where would you like people to point to? So if they are interested in you and your company, how you can help them, where would you point them to? So they can get my book from Amazon or Barnes & Noble or wherever. They can find more about me at my own website, which has its links to similar places called atulminocha.com. So my first name, last name.com. The marketing firm that I'm a partner in is called Chief Outsiders. So there's a website for Chief Outsiders and there's a link to it from my website as well. And the good news with a name like mine, yours is not quite as bad either, by the way, Bradley, that there are not too many people with my name. So if you, if you Google me, you'll find me. All right, you ready for the world famous E9 rapid fire questions? Sure. What is the last book that you read? The last book that I read is actually this guy here. It's called oh, Range. Right. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you a little bit about this book. So I believed in what the book describes. I always felt that I was in the minority and maybe I was even wrong. Till I came across this and I said, no, I'm no longer wrong. In other words, my feelings were right. So generally speaking, people believe that you need to, and I think this was promoted mostly by Malcolm Gladwell, who, by the way, I also admire. So I'm not sort of A versus B, I'm just sort of putting things together. He made it popular that to become an expert, you need to spend 10,000 hours on Mm -hmm. a particular topic, and then you can call yourself to be an expert. So he was all about expertise that if you've done marketing for 10,000 hours, if you've done sales, if you've done designing, whatever your function might be, 10,000 hours, and then you are an expert. What this book says, and doesn't disagree with the 10,000 hour rule, but it says that the world also needs journalists. World also needs people who are not necessarily expert in one or two things, but who have a wider view, who can put the expertise, put the pieces of different experts together to make you successful. So that to me was sort of the big aha moment. Like I said, I had that intuition, but I couldn't articulate it as well as this book does. What is the book that you would recommend the most outside of your book for people wanting to learn more about marketing and we'll just say in marketing in general, what's a book for business owners that you feel like it was influential for you? Yeah. so. I'm going to discount the last part, influential for me, because I was past the influence stage by the time I came across this book. I'll point this up. And yes, you can accuse me of a little bit of self-promotion here too. It's called The Growth Gears. Mm-hmm. So this is a book written by the founders of our firm, Chief Outsiders. So this is not a marketing book, but this is a business growth book, which I'm again circling back to the point that we don't solve marketing problems, we solve business problems. So if somebody wants to sort of get an overview of how the business works or should work or how we can grow, this might be a good handy tool to read. People on the podcast, listeners of the podcast know that I'm a big reader. So that will be in my Amazon cart and will be at my doorstep in a couple of days. So love that. What is one thing that drives you crazy, a pet peeve whenever you start working with a client for the very first time? What's just something that drives you crazy? Oh boy, you're going to get me into trouble. 
<laughs> and there isn't one. So uh, one of the more common ones is the expectation that I'll walk into the office with solutions. So often I remind people that think of me as either a doctor or a plumber or an electrician walking in with a well honed and well practiced set of tools but I don't know exactly what needs to be done until I crawl around in your crawl space and see what's going on. So yes, I have the expertise. Yes, I have the experience. Yes, I have the tools, but I do need to spend time with you just like a good doctor does to understand what exactly is going on with you. I mean, you know, one of the common examples I give is that if you got a recommendation to a great doctor and you walk in, and the doctor, as you are walking in, the doctor says, here's a prescription, go. Part of you might say, great. I heard he was a great doctor and he's great. It took him 20 seconds and he, know, he knew what he needed to prescribe. But chances are that that's not going to be the answer. In fact, you're going to leave disappointed because how did he know? He didn't even ask me. So the same thing applies to what we do in our consulting. Thing. So that's one of my pet peeves when clients expect ready answers on day one. And they don't want to spend the time in digging through the history, the past, the current, the views of the customers, the competition and all that. So that's sort of one of the more common pet peeves I have that I are often that. running. That's so great. Kind of as a segue to my next question, what is the one thing that you would love for people listening to this podcast to take away? Like if there was one thought, one message you really want people to take away, what would that be? So again, in my experience, which was actually the driver behind the book, why I decided to write this book, was my discovery that even though I was dragged into marketing, but I chose to be in marketing and I love the function of marketing. So how come something that I truly love and enjoy and find useful, how come different CEOs are so frustrated by their function? Some of the CEOs that I've run into, they are almost on the verge of giving up on marketing. They say, I'm not going to spend a single dime on marketing in the future because I have no way of determining what I got for the monies that I've spent. So if I have to give them one takeaway, it's going to come from one of the sources I have quoted in the book. There's a company called CB Insights out of New York City. And it's a financial data analytics firm focused on venture capital and startups and things like that. So every year they do research on the previous 12 months and the companies that failed during those previous 12 months. And then they try to analyze why did they fail? So sometime in December or January, they publish their annual post-mortem of previous 12 months failures. Every single year they do this, the top 10 reasons, eight out of the top 10 reasons that they usually come up with, eight out of the top 10 reasons have direct roots into marketing. So when I run into CEOs who are ready to give up on marketing, that's the data I show them. So if there's one takeaway I want to give your audience is that even if you've been frustrated with marketing for good reasons, even if you have been disappointed, even if you are on the verge of giving up on marketing, it's not the time for you to give up on marketing. It is the time for you to figure out why and how to do great marketing as opposed to the kind of marketing that unfortunately you've had to deal with in the past. So don't okay. give up on marketing but do the right marketing, which will obviously not only save the day, but will actually help you grow. Love that. What's your favorite tech tool or app that you use every day? iPhone. Yeah, my, my life revolves on all things Apple, but particularly yes. iPhone, yeah. What's your favorite quote? Actually, I want to give you two quotes. One is, I personally, and I think it was Voltaire who said this, 
is that it's good to have strong views, strong opinions even, as long as they are weakly held or held mm-hmm. weakly. And what I mean by that is that good to have opinions, strong opinions, but be open to hearing the other side. Related to that quote, which I think came from F. Scott Fitzgerald, was that the mark of superior intelligence is when somebody can hold two contrary views and still function. Mm-hmm. Because that is also sort of showing that I may be processing instead of saying that it's either I belong to the red t-shirt camp or I belong to the blue t-shirt camp. You're sort of saying I see good points and bad points on both sides and therefore I'm going to carve out my own way. So those are sort of related quotes that I use often or try to use often in my own life. You could sit next to anyone on a 10-hour flight. Who would it be? No one. I'm often on a 15-hour flight and I do my best thinking when I'm in plane and I'm listening to Pink Floyd or any other music and other than family and friends, if I'm traveling with family and friends, yes. that's a different story. But when I'm traveling by myself, I'm better off in my own world because that's my high quality time. When you're not working, what's a hobby? What do you love to do? I love the outdoors, which is why I live where I do. So I've spent a lot of time hiking and off-roading and exploring. I love travel. So I travel around the world for work, but more than that, for pleasure. It is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. After all, what's the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received? Don't try to be a table-thumping leader. In other words, leadership is not about sort of how loud you are or how fearful you are. It's about how good your ideas are and Mm. how you can explain things and then develop your followership through the power of might, if you will. Love it. Atul, this has been a great conversation. I hope to have you back on in the future. Thank you so much, Bradley. I enjoyed it. As I mentioned in the episode itself, there's been this, I don't know if it's an epiphany, but a revolution for myself about I really need to begin to look at all the businesses, not just from a sales lens, but from a marketing lens. And so I was actually really excited to be able to get a tool to come on the podcast. A few things that stood out to me. Number one, at Towards the end, whenever we were talking about not everything can be measured. And so he was giving the examples around Apple and the billboards. And I just had recently been in Napa area. So flew into San Francisco and saw how many billboards are there. And so that's so true. And if you think about how many, they're only putting those billboards up specifically for the reason of how many more cell phones that they're going to sell or iPads, et cetera, it wouldn't necessarily make sense. So I thought that that was Huge. The other part where he was saying, hey, don't necessarily try to optimize Google, just go out and serve your clients. I thought that that was really profound. And the more that you get in tune with who do you want to serve and how are you going to ultimately serve them, create a unique proposition in the marketplace. Sometimes that's referred to as monopoly control, the better off Google is going to be to be able to find you and list you higher in the rankings. We certainly know a lot of our listening audience are insurance agency owners. And so I think it was very valuable for you to be able to hear him say, hey, don't ignore traditional media as more and more things have been shifted online and the importance of having an online presence. Obviously, we talk about our partners at DirectClicks all of the time and helping you to be able to optimize your SEO and your website and be able to get people to be able to find you. That's true. That also creates opportunities in people's mailboxes and other traditional 
forms of media. Maybe that's TV in your area. Maybe there's a really popular radio show, et cetera, that are traditional forms of media. Mailbox, TV, radio, three, that just off the top of my head. Maybe it's possibly a billboard, depending on you and where you are, et cetera. And so not ignoring those traditional forms of media, hopefully, is actually a really good thing for many of you to hear. And you know, the last thing that I want to share is for a while, I had struggled with how much do I read a book, hear from someone who's working with Fortune 500 companies whenever I'm just a small business? Is there even any use in me reading some of those books? There's some really, really popular books out there, and they tell the story of Apple and Google, et cetera. And they're fascinating. The one that I really love is called Trillion Dollar Coach and talks about the coach who worked with Steve Jobs and some of the Google founders, et cetera. At the end of the day, if you look at their strategies and look at their tactics for you as a small business owner, yes, probably not the thing for you to be focused on. But are there some timeless principles that apply whether you're that big of a company or you're just getting started and you're doing less than half a million dollars a year in revenue that we can take about how they are approaching the problem, whether it's a marketing problem or a sales problem. And just because they have the cash muscle behind them, the size, the literal capacity to be able to do it doesn't mean that you can't learn the principle. And to me, that was one of the biggest takeaways that I had in this discussion with the tool. In discussing this, I think this is why it's so important to be able to work with a company or people that know what they're doing. I really mean this. And so that's exactly what DirectClix is able to help you to do. And so maybe you're really strong in the traditional media sense. You've had a lot of success maybe with billboards or with traditional forms of media in your area, but going online and having a presence, it can just be a little overwhelming. Well, instead of you spending the time trying to figure out how to Google AdWords work and what is SEO, search engine optimization, et cetera, just pick up the phone, call direct clicks, and they can walk you through how they've been able to serve so many clients. I mean, the testimonials and case studies that they share with me on an ongoing basis of people that they've helped, whether it's a brand new business owner that's been in business less than a year, or someone who has been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years, and is wanting to be able to bring their business online and to be able to ultimately not just have a presence online, but actually grow their business through people finding them through Google or uh, Google paid searches or just Google organic searches or through their website. Work with the best. Reach out to RetClicks, directclicksinc.com. I was talking to David the other day and I said, hey, David, I know you're getting a lot of testimonials and case studies. Can you send some of those to me? Well, he's sending me one. Like It feels like every single day because he's getting such good feedback. I just want to read you one. Obviously, I'll leave the name out. It says, hey, Coach P, my team has been running your health play last week and we've been crushing it. We went from writing two health policies all last year to having 12 apps submitted this month all of which happened during last week's Power Hour. We're currently ranked number one in our territory and number four in our area. I'm so impressed with them. Just wanted to share and send a big thank you for your knowledge and wisdom. This can be you. We're getting them all the time. If you want to be able to just go to the next level in your business, Maybe it's not, you don't care where you're ranked against other people. And that's fun. You just want to get better. You know that you have more than what you're being able to show. Work with somebody who's able to help people from across the country, across all lines. Go to coachpconsulting.com. And if you've not recently heard, if you're new, mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast and your first month is free. 
I mean, what do you have to lose? Your first month is free. Give it a trial run. Jump on calls twice a week with David. Get a peek behind the scenes and you'll see why so many people are staying with Coach P, jumping on and learning so much. Go to coachpconsulting.com. I'm going to stick with the case studies in our because it's one thing to hear from me, but it's another thing to actually hear real testimonials and real case studies from people who are actually getting it done with our partners. And so Micah sent me recently a testimony from someone, and I'll kind of paraphrase it a little bit for you, but it says, I recently opted into their newest offering for the CFO software which has given me the comfort and ability as a business owner to accurately forecast the impact of major business decisions like adding a team member, increasing marketing budget, or reinvesting in my business in many other ways. It allows me to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I can A, afford slash absorb the expense of that decision, and B, what I can reasonably expect from an ROI standpoint from a specific tactic or decision. How about that? Isn't that impressive? If you want to become a better business owner, maybe not just a better insurance agency owner, but a better business owner, one of the ways you got to know your numbers, you got to go from, you got to really understand the different numbers and how they impact truly the bottom line, the bottom line, which is the financials of running the business. Go to club.capital and book a no obligation demo. Just have a conversation with them and see if we can have you to become one of the next testimonials. All right, everyone, this has been a great episode. Till next one, lead well.